Hey everyone, welcome to the McNuttiest Dimension. I'm Chris McDutt, I'm glad you could stop by the Consciousness Salon, place where we can take a step back, let the watcher watch the watcher watching, get some new perspective on this thing we call reality, this thing we're so convinced is is real and not just a projection, a holographic image that projects from the deepest parts of our being. Episode number 12, even dozen, we are still steeped within our lore. There are 12 moons in the year. There's 12 astrological signs in the Western and in the Eastern Zodiac. Uh, we have 360 degrees in a circle. Uh, still using the 12s are there, though we've migrated our numbers to a base 10 number system. We have five fingers, most of us, on each hand. We go with the 10. But stories, stories are being told these days of beings, other beings that are out there in the galaxy, our neighbors, our friends, our cousins. They don't have five fingers on their hand. They have three fingers on their hand, and therefore they use base three, base six number systems. And in our number system, the ratio pi, the mathematical ratio used to describe circles and used in circle geometry and calculations, pi in our base 10 number system is 3.1415 blah, 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 onto infinity. But stories are being told that if you took that into a base three number system, then pi becomes an even number. Those are some of the galactic stories being told right now as we reevaluate this description we've been rocking for a good number of years about reality. It's time for some new stories to seep in. Episode 12, story time here in the McNuttiest Dimension. And yes, we're having a little bit of a story time twist here. My good friend Ruth Lira has helped me create this uh, podcast. She's She wanted to know as a listener, she said... Tell us a little bit more about you, Chris. You're always kind of rambling about some esoteric shit at the beginning of these things, but what the hell's your journey about? Let me let me sort of be the host, she said. And so we had some, um, I'd like to say fun. It went smooth enough, um, but it is uh, a little bit of backstory. We'll call this the McNuttiest Dimension Backstory. Who's this freaking McNuttiest guy? Oh. That'd be me, by the way. Uh, and where did he come from? Talking about yourself in the third person is a little weird. It's a little bit of a vulnerable exercise to just say, hey, let's devote an episode to me. But I rolled with it. I said, hey, sure, I'm down. Let's, uh, I can talk. I can talk about the stuff that's been going on in my world recently. It led me to, um, be talking to you right now. So without further ado, Ignatius Dimension, episode number 12, Ruth Lira is our host of sorts, and it's the Ignatius Dimension, a backstory.
Tables have turned. Tables have turned. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Big Nuttiest Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My brand manager says I need to open up a little bit more about uh, who I am and why I'm doing all of this. Wonderful stuff, episode 12. Yeah, and that's kind of my first question. Like, how's it going? Like, you just did 11 podcast episodes. Like, how are you feeling about that? Good. I've been enjoying the creative process. Like, more than anything, that's really what I've just been kind of riffing on because I like the creativity. So I enjoy the talking to people. I enjoy the editing. I enjoy the music, putting it all together. So it's just as far as a creative exercises like yeah totally i'm stoked yeah that's so great um you know i've listened to every episode damn right you better have <laughs> i you know i like it i'm just gonna be honest i like it when they're out first thing thursday morning because i like starting i like starting my day with the podcast like i like kind of like listening and doing my chores around the house and another thing i've i've really loved is so many of my friends have been listening and have listened to every podcast. And so I get to like go to dinner to a friend's house and she's like, oh, I just listened to the latest episode and I really like it when Chris asked this question and it's become like a conversation piece in my life. Wonderful. That <laughs> is wonderful news. But, but I haven't talked to you as much about it. And like, I'm really curious about beyond the creative process, like what you feel like you're learning because you're asking people really spiritual questions about guides and energy and Plato and past lives. And I'm kind of curious what you've noticed, like how it's internalizing. I'm always surprised. Like, like every, it seems like after I do it, I have stuff to chew on like myself, because that's, that's a lot of my process. Like I spend a lot of time meditating, reading, exploring different practices, classes, you know? So for me, it's like, oh, I talked to this person and it's like, oh, yeah, they said that. And it's like, yeah. And I noticed that I spend the next week or time just kind of like incorporating those concepts in, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, my practice and everything I do is just kind of like ongoing. It seems to be that's, you know, people ask me, hey, dude, what have you been up to? And it's like, well, that's kind of it. Like for the last couple of years anyways, like, you know, since I left my job, I'm just like, I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just kind of engaged in that exploration and the practice. So this is just, this dovetails super sweet in with that because um, it, yeah, it, it, it sparks the curiosity or yeah, something about practice or something that just settles in a little deeper. So you left your job at Northwest Tell, what, like, kind of like, oh, it was like early, it was like winter 2019. Yes, you remember that fateful day when I signed my resignation papers and I ended up in the hospital with my back locked up, screaming for somebody to give me painkillers. Yes, that was the that was the process. There was a hell of a lot of trauma, I think, of working a corporate desk job for... 17 and a half years locked up in my lower back. I didn't realize to what degree I found out. Um, still a little PTSD from that whole experience, but uh, glad that it's a rearview mirror. That's for sure. I, I mean, is that your feeling now that like working a corporate job really hadn't suited you or what's your feeling about that? 
hadn't suited me, like whether, you know, it was, oh, I was pretty square peg in a round hole. Like it was, you know, I remember when I first um, started working there, you know, like the backstory of the backstory is, you know, I got two exes, like three kids, two exes, child support payments coming out the freaking hoop. And it's like, oh my God, like I need a job. Like I need one of those job jobs. Like I'd been a tree planner. I'd been, uh, you know, up to that point, you know, I'm just kind of messing around. I didn't have any real career path or anything like that. It was just like, holy shit though. I need one of these fucking jobs. And I kind of, I lucked out. I got a good one and ended up running community TV channel for 10 plus years. So it was good, but I'm like an Aquarius. I'm an Aquarian tree planner. I just, you know, it's, yeah, the stuff in me behind a desk, uh, eight hours a day, 47 weeks a year, you know, that, that, that took a toll. That took a deep toll. Absolutely. But even in that time, you you know, you were working a corporate job that had a creative element to it. But in your own personal life, you had a lot of other things you were exploring and were dedicated to in those years. I was. Yeah. Yeah. There's always been a strong creative side going down for sure. So, um, yeah, that stand-up comedy got me through the first little bit. That was kind of like my evening and weekend sort of passion pursuit where I was working these sales and marketing jobs. And uh, I got that release. I think I really got that creative release. If people remember my performances from then, there was a lot of pent-up energy. There was a lot of stuff that was getting channeled into a microphone. Um, yeah, plus being a single dad and, you know, all kinds of stresses of my life in my 30s was really ripping out, you know, on the stand-up comedy uh, stage. It was good release. Yeah, and then when I ended up getting a job, like my day job was doing community TV and I could channel things that way. Then, um, yeah, I didn't do as much. I think that's more when I kind of went, my, my pastime got a little bit more on that, you know, spiritual exploration. That's so why I started meditating more, going off meditation retreats, all that sort of stuff. That was more, yeah, kind of shifted in that direction. I know it's interesting. I mean, I know you to be such a dedicated meditator now. I'd say of anyone in my life, you're one of the most dedicated meditators that I that I know and it seems at this point I observe it to be a very like natural part of your life but my sense is it wasn't at the beginning I don't really know the story of how oh, you came holy, to meditation in the first place holy shit it's always been that thing where like I knew I needed to do it Right. Like I remember reading Zen books and the Tao Te Ching. And I was the guy in the tree planting camp when I was like 18 who had like my tent was filled with like Buddhist books and Carlos Castaneda. And I was like always had that stuff on the go. And people would say to me, you know, older people, you know, I'm like young punk and it's like. Would you meditate? And it's like, no, it's just like, forget. It. I was like smoking and smoking lots of weed. And I just had lots of nervous energy. You remember me back then. I was just a little bit, I vibrated more. And uh, yeah, just that, that act of sitting down still, you know, it just like, 
it was just in this area of like, there's no fucking way. Like, I'm not even going to try because it's just like, it's just fucking impossible sort of thing. And then I guess it eventually just got like the more I would read and the more it's like, you got to meditate. Like, you got to meditate. Like, you just got to do it. You got to do this. Like, so I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm fucking meditate. And for some reason, you know, my close friend, uh, Erica, was very um, into the Vipassana, the Goenka style of Vipassana meditations. Like, you should go on, a, go on a Vipassana retreat. Those 10 days silent Goenka retreat was my first uh, taste of real meditation. So you hadn't really been meditating before you I went on your I've been meditating first? a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, to sit for an hour, it's like, fuck, forget it. Like 15 minutes. And that was like a fidgety 15, <laughs> you know, like really. I do know. Yeah. 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 We all know. Everybody's started meditating. Everyone just knows those initial times when you start meditating. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I hadn't meditated much. And that's like, I don't know. I've I've described it. It's like, oh, you've never been for a walk in the woods? You're going on a 10-day hike up a mountain through the wilderness with this heavy pack. You know, it's kind of, that's what those Goenka retreats are like. You know, they're fucking hardcore. That's 12, 14 hours a day. You know, there's nothing. You give them all your phones, books. People have done them. They, they, they know. But then there's the, yeah, the benefit of it is pretty off the charts too. Of going to a Vipassana retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it really, you know, it was torture. It was freaking torture. Absolutely. And I know we've had these discussions before of like, do you need to torture yourself? <laughs> you know, but I don't look back at it as this like, I don't feel scarred from them. It was kind of like, it was like kind of going to boot camp or something, you know, you just kind of got to, you know, it's like army boot camp. They yell at you and make you do push-ups for, you know, six weeks straight, but then you're in shape, right? Then you're like, oh, now you're a soldier and you're actually kind of in shape. I mean, you felt a shift after. I felt a huge shift. Like it's powerful work. Like it's powerful work. It's a powerful technique. It's popular for a reason. It just never really stuck like the, the actual technique. Like now I sit a lot, but I don't do Vipassana. Sometimes I do, but this real, you know, I'm just not, I don't gravitate towards like, oh, this is the modality. This is the style, this really regimented thing, you know? No, but you became more committed to meditation, not less. Oh, Absolutely. But it was, I think I became more dedicated to meditation when I ditched Vipassana. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like I had to get that out. Like that's what was kind of killing me. Cause you know, people, you go to these, it's like, oh, going cause it's it's so simple. Now you do two hours, one hour in the morning, one hour evening. Oh, so nice. So very nice. And it's like, no, it's fucking killing me. It was hard. It's super hard to do that. Yeah, that technique really has to just kind of speak to you. It's like any of them, right? If it's not speaking to you and then you're sitting there and it's something like it's forced, it's like a chore rather than uh, something you're doing out of love and ease and peace, then yeah, it feels like work and then it sucks and you don't, I didn't really like it. From, From Vipassana, when you were kind of, you know, deciding where Vipassana fit in your life and looking for other options. Is that kind of where you discovered Muji? Uh, well, I went to India first. That was, that was that trip where I took three months off work and I went to India because I wanted to just check out some more of 
those lineages. So I went, I wanted to hear what the Tibetans had to say. So I went to Dharamsala and took like an intro to Buddhism course. If anybody's ever there, the Toshida school, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's really, they, they made it for Westerners, right? They just, this little intro to Buddhism is like eight, nine days silence. Yeah. Beautiful up the mountain above Dharamsala. It's uh, super cool. And so I really wanted to find out what they had to say. And, um, and yeah, I wanted to kind of get more. I was also doing yoga at the time. So, but yoga again, like a lot of people in the West, I knew it as asana. Like here's this practice, like that's these physical postures. And then they talk about, well, oh, asana is just one of the many, one of the eight limbs of Ashtanga yoga. And there's these other seven limbs and, you know, and so I was kind of, I was curious about that. Like I wanted to go find out what, what that one, what that was all about. So I did a course at the Krishnamacharya Institute in Chennai in Southern India for a month. Again, uh, one that they put together and Krishnamacharya, he taught Patabi Joyce, the father of Ashtanga. He taught Iyengar. So he's kind of one of like the grandfather gurus of 20th century yoga, um, kind of brought it into kind of back to popularity. So anyway, solid stuff, Krishnamacharya. Uh, and the thing that really kind of I was interested in for that one was their theory is everybody should have their own yoga practice and it should be unique because we're all different and we all have different bodies and we all have different lifestyles and that sort of thing. So that kind of intrigued me. I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, cause we're so used to going to a class and there's a teacher up there and everybody do these postures and do them now. And this is what you do. And, and um, yeah, I was just interested in what they had to say. So that still, I do a little bit of asana now. I'm not that much, I'm not that active in asana as I once was, but um, yeah, I kind of do it along those lines. It was really super informative. And then I met Amma. I met Amma just by chance because I had a friend who lived in uh, Kerala that I went to see, my neighbor around the corner here, and who's like my son Max was uh, good friends with their son Vishnu. And it was kind of like, oh, if you're ever in India, come visit us. Uh, you know, they're there for a couple months every... So I went to Kerala after I was done. I went to, I went to hung out with the Tibetans and I went to saw Krishnamacharya. And then I was just like, oh, I just need some downtime. I got to process, kind of like integrate this stuff. And I went to Kerala and I just went to hang out. And it was a nice beach and it was, you know, it's January and it's 35 degrees. Southern India's gorgeous place, little spot in the country. And Amma was... She is the, you know, for those that don't know Amma, the hugging state of India, she was close by and it was, uh, that was a whole new trip for me, like this uh, devotional yoga, right? So to the Westerner, we think of yoga as this asana practice and they have, you know, there's Hatha yoga, which kind of blends a lot of stuff like the Yani yoga, which is like the wisdom and the philosophy. And then there's Bhakti yoga, which is just prayer and devotion. And that's Amma, like Amma, you're just praying to God. And it was like, to me, I had still a bit of a, you know, that devotional piece did was the last to kind of like crack open for me. And it was kind of that, almost was that first taste of just pure kind of devotion. And I got that at the end of my trip in India and I kind of, it helped me kind of get India in the traditions of it. Cause there's so much of this devotional peace, just love of God, pray to God, 
many gods, but it doesn't matter because it's all the same one God and you just kind of, you love and you pray. And, and that, that's like a fundamental basis of yoga that we don't, you don't get that so much over here in the West in your average yoga studio. But also you had an ama hug or your first ama hug. Oh yeah. I got a few ama hugs with that during that time. Yes. On that trip? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You're right. I had an ama hug. And, but my sense when you came back was it was more than an ama hug. It was like some type of energetic transmission, like something happened. Hell yeah. As I've said many times, she gives you a jolt of the good stuff, you know, depending on how much uh, you need. I think she's kind of yes. quite attuned. But what did, what did it feel like for you that first time? It felt hug? like a jolt of the good stuff, like deep down, heart center, um, connected to bliss, God, like however you want to describe it. It's like, oh, this is kind of what people are talking about. The people that hang out in these blissy realms, you know, this is, this is what they mean, you know. And just to have it like purely experiential, you know, I just get this hug and it's for those who haven't been, had the Amma hug experience, like she's surrounded by handlers and some of them are just looking for that. It's like, you know, you need to go sit down. Like they can see it, you know, like your legs start to wobble and, you know, they kind of guide you and they say, you should just kind of. And when Amma's hugging, how many, how many people do you think she hugs in a day? How We were, we were trying to figure it out. Yes, that's right. Cause we did go see Amma together in Kerala, uh, years later. Um, Thousands, it's thousands, like five thousand or six thousand, or yeah. That day we saw her. She started was like she, she started her service at like eleven. Yeah, sang and satsang and everything till two. Yeah, she sat there and hugged. It was eight o'clock. She had that fifteen minute bathroom yep. break, and then she went till like two o'clock in the morning after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonstop, just yep. one after the other. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. You could see it. You could see who she was hugging longer and and all of that. But I remember that first trip. You came back from India. I had your dog, Ringo. And I brought Ringo to your house. And then I went to the grocery store. And I remember I looked at my phone. And I thought, oh, I should see if Chris needs some groceries. And I didn't text you. And then I was in the grocery store. And I came around the corner. And you were in the grocery store. And I just watched you for a bit. You were so spaced out. And you were just like looking at a red pepper for a while and then putting it like back on the shelf and then like looking at some bananas and putting them back. And I came and said, hi. And you came up and you actually acted it out. You were like, I met Ama. And you put your hand on my forehead and you did like a reenactment of it. And I was like, oh, something happened. Absolutely. Yeah. And I went, I saw her once because she goes on tour and she was a place, a Palakkad in uh, Kerala was the first spot. And it was like, that I, I spent two days there, two or three days, because they do these, they do like two or three day affairs. And then she went to Kadangalore and I went there and I followed her there. And that was the end of the tour. And she was going back to her ashram. So I went back to her ashram. Oh, yeah. For, uh, and I spent a few, it was right at the tail end of my trip. Like I had a plane ticket back. I had to be back to work on February the 1st. And this is like January 27th. And I'm like hanging out in Amma's ashram and just soaking up the last little bit of the vibes. I got a hug. She is this Cali temple where a lot of the time, it's like women only, like men aren't even allowed in the Kali temple, but then she does her um, darshan. 
So she gives, but when she gives Darshan in the the hugs in the temple, then everybody's allowed in there. And some nights they say that she'll do it some nights at the Kali temple and she'll go all night long and she'll turn blue. Like Kali, like the, the gods, like her skin turns blue. She gets, she's bringing in the kind of like Indian god energy. So I had my last hug from uh, Amma in her Kali temple. And then uh, I went to California that, because she does a, she does an American tour, um, North American tour every year. She goes to Europe and she does Asia and she goes to Australia. She, holy shit, does she work? Check out AMA, people. If you don't know, AMA.org, A-M-A-M-M-A.org. Oh, AMA, she's a freaking force to be reckoned with. So I went down to California and I went to the, a retreat down there. She has an ashram in outside of San Francisco in the hills. And I spent some time there. Um, got more darshan, more hugs. But it's interesting because you asked, this was the start of like, how did you get into Muji? I was doing, uh, I was doing, um, I was working on the ashram, you know, just kind of doing the, doing the service and I was on compost duty and, uh, and this guy was just talking about Muji. He's like, I'm on my way. I'm going to Rishikesh after this. We're going to go see Muji. He said, you'd like Muji. And we were just chatting. And he just said to me, it's like, you'd like Muji. You should check out Muji. Who the hell's Muji? And so that, uh, that was the next exploration kind of hanging out in Mujiville because I'm a wonderful but again I was kind of always like operating on this little bit of a premise that they talk about a lot in the east where you find your teacher when you're ready for your teacher your teacher will appear and I had that a little not more a little bit I had that as a bit of a focus I was going there I'm like okay I'm ready for a teacher Who's my teacher going to be? You know, sort of thing. And it's like, go check out the Tibetans. Did any of these speak to me? It's like, no, no, not my teacher. You know, go to the Krishmachari Institute. It's my teacher. It's good. I dig it. It's awesome. But no, not like my teacher, you know, like this thing, like, you know, and that, that depth of like what Ram Das talks about or people talk about, you know, you meet your teacher. And then I thought for a while, like, maybe it's Emma. And it was like, no, it didn't turn out that was the case that just spoke to me that deeply. Like, it's not that it didn't speak to me deeply, but not of that. Like, I didn't, like, people follow Ama, people go on tour, they become devotees of her, they go live at her ashram. It didn't speak to me that clearly. And did did Muji? Is that how you felt about Muji? Again, went for an exploration, you know, because I, I kind of, I appreciated... His voice, and I appreciated, you know, that non-dual teaching, um, which is a little bit different than, you know, Amma's devotion. I know. That's what I was thinking. Like, when I think about, when I think about your meditation practice or around the time we started hanging out a lot, talking about spirituality, I think of your meditation practice having that devotional element. Like, part of it was chanting, part of it was devotion to God, part of it was silence, but that type of prayer and devotional energy seemed to be part of your daily life. Yes, absolutely. Again, yes, that first trip to India kind of um, solidified a lot of that. But there was something in Amma 
where I got this kind of keen intellectual mind too that mm-hmm. wants to have a little bit of that meat too, which would kind of be like Yanni yoga, you know, which is the philosophy and the scriptures and the text. And Muji, he's a little bit more of a Yanni yogi. Like he's, he'll describe it a little bit more. You know, we're almost just like, what do you need description for? Just pray. That's all you need to do. Like that's, that's her thing. Love God, get on your knees, cry to God, love God. Everything will be taken care of. I don't need to explain anything to you. Yeah, I mean, Muji seemed to really spark your curiosity because his teachings are very in-depth. But also his teaching style, if anyone's seen Muji's teaching style, is satsang, where people just ask questions. And there was some, there's something about watching how he responds, watching how he chooses to respond, watching his suggestions in the face of suffering that's, you know, very captivating. Yeah, it's very present. You know, like it's just like he's really working with the person right where they are in the moment. You know, there's that's that sort of appealing. His um, consistent, like he doesn't tell somebody one thing and another person the other thing. It's pretty, it's pretty consistent. It's pretty. Um, it's you know, it's really in that non-dual tradition. Like it's really solidly in that school of that yoga school of, you know, he comes from Ramana to like his master was Papaji and, you know, he's, you know, so he's carrying on that lineage. He's not deviating too much from that. It's pretty rooted in some like thousands and thousands of years in that yogic tradition, you know, that he's really kind of like almost like proudly upholding. So, you know, I kind of had a, I had a taste for that. I still do. I kind of appreciate the, the the age of things, you know. It's not something just didn't cook this up, you know, recently and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah. you went on a little journey with that too. You went to Portugal. Yeah, I did. I went to, yeah, I went to his ashram. I went to, I went to a retreat in Portugal because that's where he's based. And what was his ashram like compared to Alma? Uh, his ashram is... Um, well, first of all, Amma is like the divine mother. So like she is, she's got this real mother energy. She wants to feed everybody. She wants everybody to be comfortable. You don't have to really work at Amma's ashram unless you want to. There's a swimming pool. You can go to the beach. You know, there is, uh, you know, it just seems like it's almost like club med. People call it club Amma. Like people are kind of hanging out. They're just kind of chitty chatty and drinking tea and, you know, doing their mantras. And then she comes and she sings at night. And, um, Muji's is a little bit, and I kind of wondered like, what's the practice? Like when I was at Amma's ashram, even though I was there for like four days, like I was used to kind of being in other schools and like you go to ashrams and like there's practice. Like you get up at four in the morning or five in the morning and you do this and then there's that. And there's like, there's always this practice. And there really wasn't any at Amma's ashram. You just kind of hung out. You got up and you had breakfast and then you just hung out and you know it was so at least in uh at, at muji's ashram there is uh, a dedicated uh, dedication to practice it's not so much um formal but it's uh you know 
be silent. It's not, it's not a super chatty place. Um, it's not a very personal place. Like there's almost a real, uh, flavor to not being connected on the personal level. Like you don't meet somebody go, Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. And let's have this personal chat. You tell me your life story. I'll tell you my life story. It's kind of a little frowned upon, you know, a little bit. It's more like stay in the present. There's a lot of, um, Muji's, Muji's ashram is a work of art. Like he was an artist, like before he kind of got his awakening and went to India and all that sort and of thing. And he's still an artist. He's still an artist. That's what I mean. And like, and then he's attracted artistic people around him as well. Like, God, the music, like, holy shit. Like Muji's song has got dope tunes, you know, like they sing and it's beautiful. And he's attracted like these, you know, really high quality musicians. And, but the place is a work of art. Like every little shrine, there's like, oh, here's the little Buddha shrine with a pool and pathways with stones and and railings that are kind of like carved and natural. And it's just like you just walk through this thing that's like this spiritual work of art. But it's such an interesting contrast because you make such a good point, like the depersonalization, like Muji's, the core of Muji's teaching is to let go of the mind, let go of the person. Let go step, of the person, for sure. Step yeah. back, step back, step back, step back further. Just be in the isness. Yeah. And how did you, like, how did you relate to that teaching? How did you find that process? Well, I still struggle with it. It's 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 a tough one. You know, like, we're, I'm rooted in my person. Like, we all kind of are. We all snap in here as you know start learning your story and you know i'm still rooted i haven't given up chris mcnutt that's for damn sure i mean it's i don't take it as seriously as i once did i hold it a lot lighter than i once did um yeah that's that's a that's a tough one and you see everybody even at the ashram struggling with it you know this non-personal connection what the hell does it mean it's this person i like them i want to chat with them i want to hang out and like exploring kind of what that means to sort of kind of transcend the personality and the teaching is there's it's also a world of love it's not like it just becomes this dry vacant lifeless void or something it's still rich and full of heart and love and that sort of thing it's just you know you're just trying to get rid of that lens of the your personal preferences or your hang-ups or your opinions or you know that sort of thing you're just trying to let the pure light of consciousness shine on through yes the muji trip is you know very interesting i Chris and I, I spent a week with Muji and Rishikesh, so it's really interesting being with his followers and being with his teaching. There's, and it's also on that like they're on the they're on the guru trip. Yes, right. So so you gotta be on that guru trip where you believe in the concept of guru that this is this person who is awakened and they're also they're they're kind of like a bridge that's helping you get across the river you know from one side to the other and you put your faith in guru i I find that's an interesting term in the east like guru is like one of those nebulous terms that it's not necessarily refers to a person you know guru can just be like the big one consciousness can be guru um Guru can be like the inner sat guru that we have within ourselves can be guru. This other person can be guru. They're all that at the same time. It's all, you know, that, that 
kind of yeah nebulous concept so so there's there's wisdom there but there's also this person that is there like that is part of your practice so you you there's some devotion to this person you know it's so as this somebody who's helping you is this bridge to this higher consciousness there's some people relating to muji on that level and there's some people just taking his teachings i definitely don't relate to him, you know, on that guru level and have gotten a lot out of his teachings. And, you know, my view, like my feeling about Muji is he teaches one thing well. And I think that one thing is really important and it's a very difficult skill. And it's one we need to hear like a thousand times. So thank God he's telling us a thousand times, but it's like one part of the picture, it, you know, is, has been like the way I relate to Muji, which brings me to, this is like one of the questions I've been looking forward to asking you, because I watched you do this jump kind of from like Muji, Muji, Muji to extraterrestrials. And that was just such an interesting jump. And it was just kind of like so um, complete, you know, and, and it's all like integrating and like traveling along now, but I'm kind of curious, like what happened there and how that went for you? Yeah. Well, second trip to India, which was, what was that? 2019. Um, and yeah, you were there with me for three weeks, but I was there three months and I, I decided to give it more of a rip and, you know, to hung out with Muji and Rishikesh for a month. And I was kind of curious to see what level this this thing, like, is is Muji my teacher? Is back this thing? Is Muji my teacher? And I came out of it the same way. It's like, dig what he's saying, but I'm not aligned in this guru way, like, this guy's my guru. And it was kind of like I had to kind of go and figure that out. And I came out of that sort of like, yeah, this person's not my guru. And, um, and it's not, yeah, it kind of started to fade that way. It was the law of one teachings that my son Max actually turned me on to. I mean, I've always had this thing for, you know, ETs, extraterrestrials, UFOs, kind of that kind of consciousness sort of stuff has always been. But I always kind of thought that what I knew of like the UFO community kind of through 80s, 90s when I was growing up was like the guys in the tin hats who really like Star Trek and, you know, like we're really kind of like geeking out on this sort of stuff. And I guess my calling's always been on this deeper level. It's like, okay, that's kind of cool and all. There's ETs fly around in spaceships, but like, what's the meaning of life? Like, what are we really trying to get at? So that's kind of where I kind of went Eastern. It was like Buddhism and then yoga was kind of like where I really went and then the the law of one teachings if people aren't familiar with that they got channeled through this group in the states this small group of people channeled through the blue avians beings raw um uh and over a number of years i think it was in the early 80s and reading them the text of them you can check them out online they're all there these these channelings um and it just seemed like it's like, wow, they're saying the exact same thing. Like this is the same as the Vedic texts. This is the same teachings as the Buddhists. The channelings coming yeah. through. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And the channelings came through humans. They came through humans. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was like they they knew it was a they were they had made contact with this being named Ra who was describing himself as like a sixth dimensional blue avian kind of being. And it just, it was like 
reading those was I thought of like learning math. It's like you can be in sitting in grade four learning your multiplication tables and then you're, oh, you're grade eight and you're learning, you're learning some algebra and you're doing some quadratic equations in high school. But then there's like high level calculus that you do in like PhD level university and what mathematicians deal with is it's still the same math. Like it's not different than what you were learning in high school. It's just, they're just taking those same, built on those concepts and taking them way higher. And I got that, I got that sense from reading the law of one that like, okay, these are, this is the same teachings, but wow, are they ever, this is like, now I'm, I'm listening to like mathematicians, university level, you know, PhD mathematicians talk about spirituality. And I can't totally get the word. It's almost like there was some relief in that or something calming in that. Like there was some type of unity or there was some type of. Yeah. Yeah. There was some sort of like it, something kind of then. Yeah. made sense that there is that when. Yeah. To hear, oh, here's beings who live in other dimensions and other planets. And they're kind of saying the same thing that the Buddhists are saying. They're saying the same thing the yogis are saying. Or like it's, when people connect on a deeper level, people or other entities that aren't human connect on a deeper level, a similar or same type of message is coming through. Yeah, that's across the galaxy. Across it's not, the galaxy, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not just this earth-based thing. I think even my own consciousness and my own perspective was really like earth-based. It's like, here's the earth teachings, here's the Buddhists, here's the yogis, and... Um, and then what, what's beyond it? Oh, it's just God. Like, you know, it's just, it's just God or gods. And they don't really kind of get into details. Well, who are these gods? It's like, I don't know. They just kind of live off in like the God realms or like, we're not really sure. There's a, the Buddhas live in the Buddha Lokas and the angels are kind of over here. And then this, some of the more, those teachings start to go like, no, these are, here's, here's a map. Here's some mapping of where these realms are and what the difference is between the fifth dimension, sixth dimension, seventh dimension, where are angels in this whole thing where, I don't know, there's, there's something that, for me has just made more sense on some higher levels without discounting any of the gods of the Hindu pantheon or the yogic teachings or the Buddhist teachings. It's just like, it's just now it's like, wow, it's just like expanded and it's all kind of connected because we're galactic beings, not just earth-based beings. And that understanding of like, yeah, the last 10, 20,000 years of earth life, we've kind of been cut off from that. And that some of these teachings, like who were the Hindu gods? It's like, they were all blue. It's like, well, they could have been from Sirius because that's where people are with blue skin and they higher dimensional beings. And, and some of the stuff I've heard since then, they say like, yeah, one of the reasons why we don't appear to you is because you would look at us and you would think we're a god because we are higher energy and we're higher vibration and and that that hasn't worked well in the past. You guys got into this jag where you'd started worshiping us rather than just becoming your own god and listening to the teachings. So out of all of this What's definitely clear is your curiosity hasn't lessened. Like, it's not like, oh, now I know about the ETs and I know about the different dimensions and I know about the galactic. I kind of got it. 
It seems the opposite. It seems like your curiosity's increased. Well, I, what what do I really know? Like, this is the other thing. It's like I've kind of have this, you know, my perspective now is like, okay, I'm third dimensional. Like, whatever I am, I'm human. I'm third dimensional. I have these five senses. I have this intellect. Like, I'm put together in a certain way. So I have this experience and I have this understanding. But there's so much more out there. I can't say I understand the sixth dimension because I'm not six dimensional. So like, I'm not going to, yes, but I have some rudimentary awareness that these things exist on various levels and there's interdimensionality and that, that this reality is just a thin sliver of like the whole bandwidth that is available or out there or infinite. And like we exist in this real thin sliver bandwidth of reality, which is awesome, but it's also kind of limited. So I don't pretend I know anything, but yes, curiosity. I mean, it's kind of strange because as we're talking here, the feeling I'm getting is like, it's almost like you've located yourself or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's kind of like you were kind of confused. You, I mean, that's what I loved about the questions you used to ask. It was just, it really in some ways was like existential, but in some ways it was like practical. In some ways it was like, where am I and what's exactly happening? And now I'm hearing you kind of like, you have this feeling that you've located yourself. Oh, I'm three dimensional. I kind of know I live where on I Earth. am. Yeah, I'm human. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but it's almost like only in understanding the contrast, like only in understanding, oh, you could be here, you could be there, you could be there, you could be there through intergalactic understanding that interdimensional it's like yeah, yeah interdimensional well. intergalactic understanding that's like oh now i understand like we're on position like sometimes when you're talking about dimensions and densities it feels like you're describing a map yeah i i, I like maps well, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I'm a, I'm a guy right i was like i like very good maps i want to see some linear i uh, put some understanding yeah and it's kind of been helpful like where am i in this whole thing you know, and then kind of as sort of the teachings go, we've all chosen to be here, right? So this is, we decided to be human. And then it's the question of, okay, why? Why did I choose this limited? Uh, I mean, because it's all limited. It's not like the sixth dimension is unlimited. It's like the, everything has its parameters to it. So this one has these various parameters of what you know and don't know, what you're able to do, not able to do, what you understand, don't understand, you know? And yeah, now I'm, now I'm kind of more curious about the trip of like, okay, what am I doing here? Yes. That's what I was just thinking. But I'm getting this sense. You don't think it's accidental. Like you think you purposely chose this? I don't know. Because, you know, this is the amnesia trip that we live through, right? We get the, it's like the men in black flashy thing. We pop into human life and it's like, sorry, you're not going to know any of that stuff. And we spend, you know, we get little glimpses. You do past life stuff. You're able to look into uh, Akashic records and you lead other people into, you know, we, we're, we're learning some practices and some techniques to get a little bit of understanding. I'm a little more curious. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't as curious about my own trip 
previously. I think I was just kind of like stumbling around or, you know, kind of for the first 40, 50 years, you know, like just like not even, not even formulating that question so much. What the fuck am I doing here? Now I'm actually kind of like formulating the question. Don't have any answers, but at least I'm on the question. Yeah. So yeah, I think where you were just going, yeah, it was where I was feeling we were going next. Like, okay, now that you kind of like located yourself, there's this, okay, well, what do I want to do with my time? Like, you know, what do I want to do? And it's interesting how that hasn't changed that much. And that's kind of like, it's almost like you kind of do the, I did some seeking and kind of came back to what I've sort of known since I was a kid. Like on some level, I'm not really, none of us are really that different than we are when we were kids. You know, I still like the same music. A lot of the same things still make me laugh. You know, like it's, 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 it's not like I'm that different, but now it's kind of like, now, now I'm more like, okay, that's who I am. Like where they, you know, a lot of the teachings that come through, it's like, what's your soul essence? Like we're all here with strengths and we're all here with gifts and we all come here with something to contribute and we all have abilities that others don't have. And, you know, I didn't really tune into that so much. I just was kind of like stumbling around and now I'm more like, oh yeah, okay. That's, yeah, that's kind of what. I am able to do, you know, like, and understand it rather than, I guess there was a bit like I was trying to escape this place. There was a lot of that, uh, you know, that Buddhism and stuff like that. You kind of liberate yourself from samsara. You got to get the hell out of here. This is the realm of suffering. You know, I was, I was hooked into that one for a while. Like I just wanted to get the hell out. And now I think I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good where I am. Now I got to check it out. Yes, that big wide open crown chakra and that avoidance of the root chakra that went on for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not through it. I'm, I'm not through to the other side. But yeah, there was there was a bit of trepidation. I think just about being human. It's and I think any anyone you know, I work with so many people. Anyone spiritually journeying is going through that part is going through that part of avoidance, that part of kind of like, you know, how can I kind of skim over the hard parts and be with God and go back to God and go back to oneness? Yeah, back to the lightness, back to the bliss. Like, what the fuck are we doing here, humanity? It's it's a dense, thick soup of a lot of suffering, a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion. And, you know, we're surrounded by violence and we're surrounded totally. by corruption and trauma. And, you know, we experience it ourselves and we look around and we see all these other people who are deeply suffering. And yeah, there is this instinct. Oh my God, I got to get the fuck out of here. Oh, just liberate yourself from the wheel of samsara. And that's what the teachings of the past 5,000 years have kind of a lot have been devoted to, right? You know, here's how you get off this wheel. Yeah. But what does Carl Jung say? You know, you got to go through to go out or whatever and that's really what I've seen is that's what meditation fortifies like what meditation does is you get stronger right you talked about how difficult the meditation is at the beginning you're antsy and you're restless and your mind is crazy and you can't sit still and you just do it over and over again and then eventually your mind is crazy and you're restless and you can sit still. You've gotten stronger. And then what happens is we can be with the evil of the world and we can be with the things that break our heart and we can be with them without avoidance and wanting to check out. So, you know, that's one of the things that a decade of meditation practice, you know, offers yeah. us. Yeah. 
But I've noticed also just a little bit of the theory too. You know, I kind of groove on that. There's practice and a little bit of the the theory I've always found helpful. You know, it's kind of a bit more studious. I like I like the I like the theory and the, the kind of intellectual concepts kind of behind some of the stuff. I I always find it helpful. There's some I've read so much stuff or you know some I don't know where it came from, but it's like you're able to leave the human trip when you fully embrace it and love it. Yes, like when you are just like almost like when you you're, you're loving it so much that you don't want to go. Yes, then it's like oh it's time to go. And now you're kind of now you're kind of free to go. Yeah, I've heard that one too. Yeah. So now you have all this mix. Like you've had like the Pasana influence and Ama influence and Muji influence and the Tibetan influence. And I know you've hung out with the Star Seeds. Star Seeds has been the most recent one, yeah. Like so with and you've had the devotional side, and I know you've done lots of like energy stuff too. With like what's your meditation practice like now? That's a good question because it's it changes a lot, and um, for a long time I've been doing like I got pretty solid morning practice. I have a hard time going about my day if I don't just make myself a cup of tea and sit for a good hour on my own, and it can be all kinds of different things. I kind of uh, the breakthrough for me was don't meditate or don't meditate in this certain style. Just let, just, I'm going to take this time. I'm just going to see what happens. And it used to be, if I felt like chanting, I would chant. If I feel like praying, I pray. If I want to send loving kindness, if somebody comes into my mind and I want to send some loving kindness to somebody, or I want to just focus on my breath, or I want to just get into my chakras or my energy stuff. And I think, um, it's kind of, I, I spent a lot of time kind of in the, like, I guess like chakras and chakra energy and kind of connecting to, oh, like soul star, kind of earth star and kind of like, kind of like earth and kind of like higher stuff. I think the higher, I, I don't, I don't have a real strong concept of what it is. Cause I kind of, kind of set that aside. Like, I don't know what the hell's kind of out there. There's concept of higher self, soul matrixes that kind of connected to um, trying to bring in maybe more that that uh, the, the higher self, the higher kind of mission kind of thing. Like, what am I here to do? What am I, what am I higher? Um, yeah. What's, what, what, where am I at on the soul level? Why am I here on, on my soul journey? So how can I bring that in? And I focus a lot on, yeah, trying to bring that into the, spend a lot of time in my heart center just that that realm i've that's that's kind of my go-to i can just kind of like just like what else fails just like notice my breath and just go into the heart space but it's so beautiful i mean just as someone who encourages people to meditate like to spend your first hour of the day what i'm hearing is just being with yourself i mean in many ways being with yourself in a very intuitive way like, you know, I'm not forcing anything. I'm just going to be with myself and see what comes up and yeah. and be with it in my most intentional kind of... Yeah, intentional, yeah, earnest. Like, it's not, yeah. yeah. It's, and, and when it's just going with kind of, yeah, what's there? Or sometimes it's also like I've read something. I read something the day before or yeah. I listened to a teaching or something. I ponder it and I kind of like chew it, uh, chew on it a little bit and I see where that kind of fits and where I can kind of like incorporate it or I might discard it and go, ah, that doesn't really work for me. But yeah, kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know, it's a real, I, I mean, 
existential exploration, spiritual exploration, metaphysical exploration. I mean, you know, I don't have to be convinced. Like, what more are we here to do? And then you have this opportunity that, like, this, you know, the new, one of the newest things that's come into your life is the podcast. Totally. To have, like, you know, the podcasts are edited down a little bit. So you're having, like, an hour and a half, two-hour discussion. Yeah. Focused discussion with people. Yeah, I, I you know... I, I just look back at my own journey and how many people I've listened to and how many things I've read and how helpful it was. You know, just the fact that, you know, I spent time listening to Muji. Well, it's all on YouTube. Just even just even the fact that that effort was made by those people to like cameras, microphones, record, upload to YouTube, I sit and, wa- and listen to it or download podcasts and go for long dog walks and I can listen to stuff. And it's like, wow, it's been so beneficial to my journey. Like I started dog walking with Eckhart Tolle like years ago and listening to Muji and all kinds of different things and channelings and uh, uh, Ruben Langdon series interviews with uh, interdimensionals and just like, there's just so much stuff out there that people are doing. So like, what can I do to help? How can I just help that? I just know kind of like a bit of the service piece, you know, like what can I do to contribute? How can I help other people, um, yeah, access some of these these teachings? And I've even had friends who kind of who've listened to it because they're my friend. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and, and, and it's like, okay, that's good. They haven't heard it before. They never had some concepts. And it's like, they did some Google searches and it's like, great, you know, sort of anyways, it just feels like a bit of a, a service piece. And it's something I've, what do I have skills that I, I, I'm a communicator. I can do this. I got, you know, my, my son's an Aquarius in the third house. <laughs> okay. You know, it's the house of communication. So I, I, it's natural. It, it fits. And, just kind of want to help spread the love. There's a lot of concepts ripping around. Oh my God, has the fucking heavens opened up in the last 20 years of, of new material. You know, we talk about this all the time when we started this 20, 30 years ago, each of us like Buddhism was the deal and everything was kind of like Buddhist yogic oriented. And now it's, oh my God, fucking Pleiadian yoga, star seed, you know, shamanism, druidism combination. Like it is just going on on so many levels and people are also which I think is so great now is people are intuitively experiencing this stuff directly without any kind of filter or interpretation from a lineage or a modality. It's like, I don't fucking care how many Buddhists said this, or I'm going to go do it myself. And then this is what I found. And this is what I'm sharing. And there's so much now that's fresh, just so fresh. It's not stale with um, lineages and this is how it's supposed to be. This is the Vedic text of all these years. It's like, no, this is like, I'm getting this now. And I'm like synthesizing different traditions and ideas and understandings. And it's just like, it's going, it's ripping right now. So yeah, I'm fascinated to just talk to people about all these different things coming through. And then again, like help others to discover it and understand it a little bit better. So you're really just picking up speed. Like, I think you made a comment the other day where you were like, you know, I'll kind of know I'm on my way when I've made 20, you know, episodes and we're at 12. And I thought I really appreciated that when you said that, because I really, 
something I notice and something I talk to my clients about is we've really become, um, I don't know, we've lost some type of persistence or something. Like you can just put a video on YouTube and it should just go viral. Like people used to have to work 10 years, 20 years, 30 years at a craft, you know, before they were appreciated. And now we kind of like, I don't know, I tried it and it didn't work. It's like, no, you didn't even like get started. But what are some of your dream guests, dream topics? Like what are some of the things you're just like, oh my God, if I could talk about that on the podcast or I could talk to that person well, I'm a big fan of the cosmic disclosure on Gaia and that whole community. Um, I'm I'm really fascinated with this. Um, what, what do you like about the cosmic disclosure, guys? Well, just the information about what's going on in the world of like ET contact, of secret space programs, of uh, of you know technology. Um, what's what's actually kind of going on out there that we're not being told? But really, what what I've always been um, uh, marvelled at, marvelled, curious when I hear these people talk is how also touched and uh they are with these experiences that they have and how it, it seems like it's also affecting them with with higher consciousness like these people like in cia programs that started with this really like people in the military who are like accessing higher consciousness you know to the benefit of military missions like oh we we have this we got a military objective and we're learning techniques of the yogis and in order to you know go through portals and things like that and then they're also having just these really profound experiences and it's just i just find that um yeah i'm really curious on this expansion in connection to the galaxy. I think that's the next big thing that humanity is going to start going through. It's starting now. And in the next hundred years, you know, it's an explosion. Like we are just going to realize how interconnected we are with so many other beings, how we share a common lineage. These are our cousins. These are our relatives. Um, They've been a part of this journey of ours on Earth for since its inception, and we're just going to learn more about that. And I think it's really exciting. I think it's just like it's going to it's going to benefit. I, I've I've the idea I've had for a long time is like we live in a small town on the prairies, you know, and it's not like it's not a bad town to live in, and it's not like you can't live your whole life in the little small town. But there's and, a whole big world out there. It's a big world out there. You haven't even been to the city, let alone go to another country, let alone other cultures and languages and foods. And there's so much you learn just by traveling the earth, you know? So we're going to go through that galactically and interdimensionally. But you've observed these people who are telling stories of having uh, direct contact with ETs. You see something healing or beneficial in them personally from these interactions. Yeah. And they talk about it. And it's, and it's really profound. Yeah. So this is, this is an interview you'd love to do information. You'd love to share out there. Yeah. The more people that, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. People who have had this direct contact, what it's been like, what it's been like for them on a, yeah. What's their spiritual journey been? What, what's their own adventure and consciousness been to have these experiences? Like, it seems like even the, the process of the podcast has been kind of a trust and intuitive process. Like it seems like it's been an extension of your practice, the way you've gone about putting it together. Yeah. It's come through with, 
with that, there is some blockage. There was some resistance. I think it is like, um, I wanted to do it for a, 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 quite a while. I was doing some other stuff. I was doing some video stuff last year and I kind of had the realization it's like, no, I think I just want to do a podcast. I just want to talk to people. Um, and, uh, yeah, videos a little more onerous, you know, I was kind of steeped in video. I'd worked in it for years and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And it just, seemed to be, I don't know, I, I was a little blocked, I think, at the beginning. I thought like, oh, it's impossible. Like all these people, how am I going to get from here to there kind of thing? And I was like, no, okay, just 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 believe in it. Just say yes to it. Put the intention there. So yes, a little bit of the practice. And then when I went away last um, winter, I was down Salt Spring Island for three months and I just had this thing in my head. It's like, I'm going to do a podcast. And should I be doing something the work on it. And it was like, no, I wasn't getting any, like, I wake up in the, you know, should I, should I do something? You know, it's like, no, I'll just go for a walk. So it's like, okay. So I just went for a walk and I'd spent like three months just like going for walks, not doing anything, kind of knowing that when the time is right, it will be the right time. And it's just not the right time now. So yeah, in, in that way, I didn't go all yang with it. I kind of went yin, let it kind of uh, work its way out in slowly but surely. Like even now, it never seems to me like you have a to-do list. Like I don't think you have like a list of guests planned ahead of time and the dates it's going to be done and the dates you're going to edit. You kind of you kind of go with the feeling of it. I'm going with the feeling. That might be a little helpful. I'm kind of like uh, I'm merging the, the the two worlds where there may be a little bit of planning and execution might be, you know, it's it's not like that stuff's wrong, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of experimenting with that. I've never been a big planner, you know. I think I read the Tao Te Ching when I was like 18 and it kind of just – didn't necessarily fuck me up, but it, like you just read the Tao Te Ching, it's just, yeah, everything in its own time. Well, water always flows down the mountain and always finds the path to the sea. Like you don't have to worry about everything. Be the mirror mind, be, be nothing and you will be everything, you know? And I was just like, okay, cool. I, I got it. <laughs> but, you know, without being a big planner, you have 12 podcast episodes on like every podcast platform. You know, I work with a lot of clients. I work with a lot of students and I give them like encouragement to open and get on with things. And, you know, I'll just say very few of them do. And you have. Yeah. And a lot of my life has been that way too. You know, we've had this discussion about, you had a sense of me popping into my incarnation where I was a bit of a shoulder shrug and I didn't Sure, what the hell? To be exact, it was a dare. It was a dare. Okay. <laughs> I saw it was almost like a poker. I, when I saw Chris coming in to this life, it's like some type of like poker game, and he's like dared to incarnate, and he's like, fine, I will. And I drifted, <laughs> like really, like seriously. I remember that feeling as when I was young. I didn't have a lot of direction. I didn't say, oh, this is what I want to be. This is what I want to do. I went, I was a tree planter for a while. I had some kids. I lived in cabins. I just kind of got some job because, you know, it wasn't with real direction. But in that kind of like Taoist way, it's kind of, I've found success of things have, things have worked out. So this is, this is similar as well, you know me. I, I work hard on things when I get um, yeah. when I, when I get focused on it. I've been I've been working 
diligently on this. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by it. I've gotten good feedback from people that seem to enjoy it. So I know I've done creative things in the past where my friends have gone, eh, you know, Chris, <laughs> you know, you know, they don't want to, you know, tell me like outright that it sucks, but you know, I've done that stuff too. And I haven't got so much of that with, with this project. So yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I, I feel. And if, of course we've been working with the follow your bliss or delicious, yes, teaching. And I've observed, and you've said, like, when you're done recording a podcast, you're smiling. Yeah. And entrusting with that authenticity, you know, it is one of the ancient teachings, modern teachings, follow your authenticity, be your authentic self. If I am here to be a certain... you. you thing and I'm on a mission. I have these skills. If you just follow that passion, the rest of it will work out. And I, I am in a bit of trusting mode that, you know, I don't have massive income at the moment. Uh, you know, I'm just like doing some podcasts that like a hundred people listen to. I'm, I'm trusting that it'll grow and, or, or if it's meant to, right. And if it's not, then it's not meant to. And then I'll be on the, the something else that is more the right thing to be doing. So it doesn't feel wrong. I can't say I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of like being in the moment with it. And in the moment, it seems to be the thing to do. Yeah, because trust isn't being certain. Trust is the opposite. Trust is being uncertain and just deciding that you'll keep walking that path and just trusting that something's happening and being curious about it. Trusting and being curious where it will lead. And um yeah, I've been able to meet some interesting people and uh, yeah, it's helped me on my own journey of understanding. I'm a hope um, I've had people tell me that it's it's helped them as well. So, you know, I, I'm trying to kind of focus on the, you know, the service side of, of things as well. Um, so I, I don't know if I've been completely self-indulgent and sometimes it feels that way you know like my journey's been a little chris self-indulgent and, and i can i could i could focus my attention towards towards others as well so you know there's there's a component to it that i've kind of aimed like with a little heart beacon a little bit to kind of like how can i be of service here what can i do that's that's helpful well as someone who consumes you know i'd say i'm a customer of, you know, um, spiritual content, like I don't have, I'm not sitting on a pile of spiritual podcasts that are my favorite. Like I'm not sitting on a pile of information that I think is giving like always like a very balanced, grounded approach. So I still, and this isn't, this is, I, I want to put that out to everyone. Like if you're wondering, like, should I be sharing spiritual knowledge? Should I be talking about these topics? Is this completely done? I would say it's not. I would say there's like just real room for people, especially, you know, like you who have, who have seen a lot of different lineages and had a lot of different experiences and start to bring those way, bring those together in a curious kind of grounded, accessible way. I, I think we need more of that material. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, and I think that's, what's fabulous about this time that people are having their own authentic experiences and really not worrying about, am I doing it right? Or should it be like this? Or, you know, that 
there's some teacher or there's some church or there's some, you know, I think we're busting out of that sort of the confines and the claustrophobia of like spiritual experience having to be certain ways and like bless the yogic and Buddhist traditions, like bless their sweet soul, but they're, they're thick and laden with dogma. And, you know, it's almost like, they're almost like dying timelines in their own, in their own present form. And so like, it just takes all of us to like reinvent it, to take the core of these teachings, put them into our own heart, our own experience, apply it to our own lifetime, our own life circumstances, our own jobs, our own, like, what do we do and share that? You know, like, what's it like to be a Buddhist baker? What's it like, you know, like we just need, what's it like to be, you know, a tantric bus driver? Like we just need to share this and it's not, um, some Something that is, or we have to make it, it's part of life. There's something even with spirituality. It's like, oh, there's this like stuff we do that's called normal life. And then there's this other stuff. Oh, then I do my practice or, you know, I go to church on the weekend. It's like, no, you just got to live and breathe and be present with this stuff in everything we do. And that everybody's experience and sharing of it is is wicked and just, it just helps the whole thing move forward. You know, and you and I are so used to, you know, having space to talk about these topics where we don't feel judged and we don't feel like we're going to be ridiculed. But, but my observation is not everyone has that, you know, oh, that's woo woo. Oh, you're just weird. Oh, like that would ever happen. Yeah. Or they have friends or family or relationships. A lot of, time, a lot of colleagues. Yeah that you can't kind of talk about this at work or you can't take that type of intuitive approach to your job or you're right. You can't even take that intuitive approach to your marriage. And so, yeah, I'm noticing any community, like any spaces, you know, created where people can feel relaxed, you know, in these subjects is a real gift. Sure. That's the ancient concept of Sangha, right? That's yeah. like, we just have to get together with the spiritual like-minded folks. I think that's like social media, that two-edged sword, as much as this thing that's totally fucking with our heads and sense of self and stuff like that. But there's all these amazing communities that are out there now on, on Facebook and you can follow people and, you know, online world. YouTube, watch stuff. It's just, you know, it's, it's incredible. Like what you can do and express it yourself. You know, I, I'm still not fully expressive. I'm still kind of getting, finding my own feet of where I feel comfortable. I'm still shy about my own understanding. You know, this is just, this is new to me. This is 12 episodes in. I'm sitting here vulnerably sharing my, I, you know, I don't do it with everybody. You and I talk about, I've got a handful of close friends that I do. I don't talk about this with my kids in depth and my family and my own colleagues and neighbors is not something I've been kind of shy about it myself and kind of personal. So it's, yeah, it's a new exploration for me. Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons it has vulnerability to it. But one of the reasons is because we're talking about something that's still like a question mark. Like whenever we're talking about spiritual journey, you're talking about something open-ended. You're talking about something that you're not you're not sure it's that way, but you're exploring it. You know, so it has that... Um, yeah, you're walking around in the fog, like you're at the top of the mountain or something, and it's just like you can't see where you're going. You don't really know so where true. you are. You don't know... Yeah, you're just kind of like stumbling around, 
yeah, there's a lot of that. So to be able to, with confidence, turn around to somebody and go, oh, I totally got this (laughs) dial. Listen to me. I'm the great guru teacher. I'm always amazed at people that can do that, you know, that with absolute confidence, you know, that they can say, listen to me. I think some of those, some of that's also their egos out of the way. Like when it's the real higher self, authentic self coming through, then yeah, it's speaking a higher truth, you know? It's very tenderhearted. And so suddenly you're in these subjects, you're in these things that are very personal and often very important to you. I mean, you can really hear it with a lot of your guests. There's something you can hear in the interviews where, you know, um, they're telling a story that was very important to them, that was very life-changing, that was very sacred. So there's a tender-hearted aspect to it. And we all know the last thing you want is to be tender-hearted and, you know, get whacked. Like, it hurts, right? We're all walking around avoiding that for sure. The McNuttiest Dimension is a place of acceptance. We're not not, not here to... I, I find with myself, I, I can't... How can I judge somebody else's dream? I spent a lot of time being judgy. I've had judgy pants on for a good long time. I was like a chain-smoking, cynical, you know, punk for a while, you know, thinking everything's bullshit and just, you know, sharp mind and that sort of thing. And I just like, that's, I I don't know anything. How can I judge anybody else's journey seems to be now? I'm just kind of curious. I was like, wow, that's how you experienced where – even 10, 20 years ago, I would have been after, oh, what a bunch of bullshit and one want to argue with somebody. And now it's like, no, I'm just just curious and open and kind of feel, yeah, I've, I've felt a shift with that because I think it comes knowing, you know, with age and experience where it's just like, yeah, what what a mess my own life has been and what this, how, what a struggle these own, my own explorations and my own uncertainty and all the stuff I've messed up and didn't get right so yeah, it's just, you know, I can't, <laughs> can't be confident about like, I got this figured out, but at least I'm kind of curious and open about it. Well, the best interviewers make people, in my opinion, the best interviewers make people feel comfortable and get their guard down a little. And then suddenly you get information that hasn't been shared, you know, anywhere else. And that's how you get something like really juicy and something in really interesting, right? And that takes the interviewer being vulnerable themselves. It's like, oh, if you can be vulnerable, you know, I can be vulnerable. It's starting to sound like an infomercial ad for the McDuddiest Dimension and why everybody- I'm not saying you're doing it. I didn't say you've succeeded. Should, should, be, just, should be listening to it. I didn't say you've succeeded at it yet. Um, can but, people- But I appreciate you taking the time to kind of pull a little bit of this stuff out of me. Can people request guests? Can people request topics? Hell yeah. You can request anything (laughs) you want. (laughs) I'd love to interact with people more. I'd love to just hear more. I'd love to, I I know, and I'm the same way. We just digest a lot of media and it kind of comes and it goes. And so I get it that you listen and just kind of off to the next thing. But yeah, I'm I'm absolutely curious, like what's working, what's not working, what what were the little nuggets that really kind of spark something. So then you kind of know, it's okay, more of that, you know, more, more people like that, you know, more subjects like this. Absolutely. I'm open to suggestions, of course. I liked hearing 
more about your journey and what you've done and where you've been? Yeah, sometimes I just, I haven't taken stock, but enough, that's, that's okay. <laughs> My chair broke. It's time for, uh, yeah, signing off. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Enough of that nonsense. It was fun. It was a great experiment. I hope you enjoyed that. It was a little uncomfortable, especially in the editing phase for me, but that's what happens when you open your mouth and start talking and then you have to listen to yourself. But um, the McNuttiest Backstory, episode 12, thanks to Ruth Lira, who has been a big supporter and friend over the years, who does amazing work of her own RuthLira.com. Um, if you want to connect with her for all kinds of fabulous offerings that uh, she does, uh, energy work, uh, and she's an amazing teacher as well. She's really kind of branching into that area where this energy work, intuitive work, telepathic work, all these things, these new layers of our humanness that there has been a very small fraction of humans, you know, accessing on a regular basis. And now it's more and more people to the benefit, to the whole benefit of human consciousness and where we can take this whole thing. Ruth and others like her are on the forefront of uh, teaching and sharing their uh, wisdom um, with the rest of us. RuthLear.com, check it out. If you want to connect with me, and yes, it's true, I'd love to hear from you. Got ideas for the show, stuff you liked, stuff you didn't like. Um, McNuttius.com is my website. All the episodes are there. Information on the episodes, the guests, that sort of thing. You can contact me through McNuttius to Facebook, McNuttius on Instagram. You want to send me an email, it's yo, that's Y-O-Yo, at McNuttius.com. It's, I'm so glad you could come and hang out and spend some time in the Consciousness Salon. I'm Chris McNutt. Thanks for checking out the McNuttiest Dimension, and we'll catch you next time. McNuttiest.